those qualifications that are laid out for an elder, apart from the capacity of able to teach and able to manage, the rest of those character qualifications should be what every one of us strive to be. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series with part six of Church Government, Monarchy, Anarchy, or Democracy. In the context of the church, how do you know if you've been called to be a pastor? Or how do you know if you should pursue being an elder? Well, today Tom will look at four biblical tests that reveal if you are called. First, is there within your heart a craving to do the work of ministry proven by godly character? Second, do you have the capacity to teach? Third, have you shown in your home the ability to lead and manage? And fourthly, have the elders and the congregation confirmed that you meet these other tests? As Tom will remind you, you may have been called or in the process of being called to consider leadership if all four of those items are true. Examine your heart and keep those things in mind as we join our teacher right now on The Word Unleashed. That same disposition and attitude that keeps someone from having an organized world around them in the home also shows itself every other way. John MacArthur writes, The ministry is no place for a man whose life is a continual confusion of unaccomplished plans and unorganized activities. He's got himself and his world ordered. The next character qualification is hospitable. In verse 2 and in Titus chapter 1, verse 8, in both places, it literally means a lover of strangers. Now, this is not talking about making wonderful cookies and having your friends over, although there's nothing wrong with that, and I encourage you to do that. In the first century, there weren't many places for traveling Christians to stay because the typical inn or hotel, as we would think of them, were known as disreputable places rife with drunkenness and brawls and prostitutes. And so Christian leaders often opened their homes to traveling Christians as a place for them to stay. So to be hospitable is to be a lover of strangers. That is, to love people and to open your home to others. Paul goes on to say that the elder is not to be addicted to wine. Again, he writes this in both Timothy and in Titus. This one is fairly straightforward. It simply means that a man who would be an elder or a pastor may not be preoccupied with, known for, overindulgent in alcohol. He is to be under control in every area of life. He's not to be pugnacious, 1 Timothy 3.3 and Titus 1.7. Not pugnacious. We all know people who are pugnacious. The Greek word comes from a verb that means to strike. It can refer to physical violence, but it can also refer to somebody who is just a fighter. We all have people in our backgrounds or perhaps in our life today who are like this. They simply love to argue and to fight. This person tends to be bad-tempered, irritable, 
and generally argumentative. And at times it can even lead to the brink of and even beyond the brink of physical violence. That's pugnacious. And if a man is pugnacious, he may not serve as an elder in a church. In verse 3, Paul goes on to tell us that he instead must be gentle. Notice that Paul lists it as the opposite of pugnacious. He says he's not to be pugnacious, but... And the Greek word is a strong adversative. It means, but on the other hand, let me tell you the opposite of that, what he is to be. He's to be gentle. No single English word really captures the full meaning of this word, but Alexander Strzok in his book, which I highly recommend to you if you're even weighing whether or not you should serve as an elder in the future, it's called Biblical Eldership, in, and he deals with every relevant text, by the way, in the New Testament about the issue of elders. In his book, he suggests that several good English words for this word gentle are the words forbearing, kind, gentle, magnanimous, and I love this one, gracious. I think that word really captures it. Here's a man who is not always looking to fight people. Instead, he is known for having a gracious spirit toward others. He's not a wimp. He's really willing and ready to fight when the truth is at stake. But his character is not a character that loves fighting. If you love a good fight, and that's what really motivates you, then the ministry is not the place for you. Whether it's to serve as a pastor, a senior pastor, a teaching pastor as I am, or one of the elders of a local church. Peaceable. In verse 3, and in Titus 1, the parallel expression is not quick-tempered. It means you're uncontentious. And this is related to not being pugnacious and to being gentle. It means you're not quick to get angry. You're not quick-tempered. You're not always flying off the handle about something. Impulsively angry. And therefore promoting disunity. We are to be known as peaceable people. Not quickly angered and quickly in a fight. In verse 3, Paul goes on to say that the elder is to be free from the love of money. Or in Titus, not fond of sordid gain. That means he doesn't love money. He's not greedy. He's not in the ministry for what he can get out of it. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 that he knew what it was to have more than he needed. And he knew what it was not to have enough. And he was content with either. That's the spirit that you and I, all of us, have to work toward. But if you want to be an elder, or if you are an elder, this is the spirit you have to work toward. Being content with plenty, but not being tied to it where you have to have it. Willing to let it go. He's not to be a new convert. 1 Timothy 3, verse 6. In secular Greek, this expression was used literally to describe something newly planted. Some of you have been a little late getting your winter plants in, and they didn't maybe fare too well during this latest cold period we had because they were newly planted. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. But he's using it to refer to someone who's newly converted. Don't put someone who's newly planted in the faith in this position. 
And he gives a reason because he might fall into the same condemnation incurred by the devil. I think Paul means both that he might succumb to the temptation the devil succumbed to, which was pride, be lifted up and exalted, and he might face the same swift action on the part of God that Satan faced as well. He goes on to say in verse 7 that he's to have a good... We're going to come back to the in-between verses. Stay with me. We're talking about character here. He has to have a good reputation with those outside the church. Again, that's very straightforward. People in the community may disagree with him biblically. They may disagree with his moral standards. They may disagree with some of the decisions he makes, but they know nothing that would impeach his integrity. He pays his bills on time. He's known to be the same person in the barber shop that he is in the pew. Not self-willed. Now we're moving to Titus. These qualifications are not found in Timothy, but are found only in Titus. Titus 1.7, not self-willed. I don't think I can improve on Alexander Strauch's definition. A self-willed man wants his own way. He is stubborn, arrogant, and inconsiderate of others' opinions, feelings, or desires. A self-willed man is headstrong, independent, self-assertive, and ungracious, particularly toward those who have a different opinion. That's self-willed. And if you're self-willed, then you're not qualified to serve as an elder. An elder loves what is good, according to Titus 1.8. One Greek lexicon defines that as one who willingly and with self-denial does good. William Hendrickson said, one who is ready to do what is beneficial to others. He is to love doing good. I read a verse this morning from Acts 10, verse 38, where Jesus was described by Peter as one who went about doing good. The elder is to be one who delights in doing good. He loves what is good. He loves to do what is good. He is just. Probably a reference to being fair, equitable in your dealings with others. And finally, in Titus 1.8, devout. He is to be resolutely committed to God and to His truth. Those are the character qualifications. Now, none of us, not a single living person, has those in perfection. And in fact, there are areas, even as I go through these and teach them to you, that I realize are weaknesses in my own life that I want the Lord to build and strengthen. But you ought to be known for these qualities if you're going to pursue the office of elder. That's the character you must have. So, if you're going to pursue, if you're going to know what constitutes a call to be an elder, to be a minister, to be a pastor, then you have to have craving, that is the desire. You've got to want the work of the ministry. Secondly, you've got to have the character. Now we've gone from the internal desire to the external, objective, measurable character qualities that qualify you to serve in that role. There's a third test, and that is capacity. Capacity, skill, or ability. There are two specific skills or abilities that an elder must have. And if you're going to serve as an elder, God has given these to you. The first and the most obvious one is he must be able 
to teach, according to 1 Timothy 3.2. The way Paul puts it to Titus in Titus 1.9 is he must be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Look at those expressions for a moment. Notice that to Timothy, Paul implies that he has the skill to teach. He is able to teach. To Titus, Paul implies that he has a sufficient knowledge of Scripture and doctrine to exhort believers and to refute error and false teaching. So this qualification means that you have both the skill to take the Word of God, to understand what the original author meant through, a, through careful study, to organize your thoughts in such a way that you can be understood and to present it to others. We're not talking about the fact that you have to be John MacArthur. We're talking about the fact that you can take the Word of God and you can understand it and explain it to others in a way that they can understand it and apply it in life. You have the skill, but it's more than that. You have to have a certain degree of knowledge. That's why when we are bringing men onto our elder board, we want to test them for their biblical knowledge because it's not merely skill. There's a degree of knowledge that has to be there in in order to carry out what Paul tells Titus. So, if you're going to be an elder, you have to have a certain capacity to teach. But there's a second capacity that I want you to see in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's the capacity to manage or to lead. Notice 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church of God? In other words, he must be able to lead people and to manage his affairs because that's the basic function of leadership. The basic function of the New Testament leader is overseeing. And that's best shown how? By what happens in his home. Having his children under control with all dignity. He manages his own household, which includes everything. The, the Greek word for household, or the way it's, the expression is used here, implies everything that is under that man's responsibility, under his roof, if you will, which in New Testament times included not only his children, but um, perhaps some servants, perhaps as well, um, extended family. And so, in every sense, he manages his household and he keeps his children under control with all dignity. And the reason's clear it's a test. If you don't have the capacity enough to manage your own household, then you don't have the capacity to manage the church of God. Paul adds in Titus that he must have children who believe not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Now, let me just tell you that there have been whole forests slain for enough wood to make enough paper for all the opinions on what that verse means. Let me tell you, just to shortcut the process, let me tell you where the elders of this church have landed as well. We've discussed this at length and come to this consensus. By children who believe, or children who are faithful, 
This is what we've written. In Paul's epistle to Titus, he lists the qualifications for elders beginning in Titus 1.6. One of those qualifications is having children who believed not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Recognizing that there are good men on either side of the interpretive issue of children who believe versus children who are faithful. That, by the way, is the crux of the argument. Can be translated either way. We agree to support the Countryside Bible Church position on this elder qualification as follows. Here's where we landed. Understanding that there is a, there's a lot of argument that goes behind this. If the children are in the home, let's start there. A man meets this qualification if the children in the home are believers in Christ or if they have not yet made a profession of faith in Christ but are trustworthy in behavior that is responsive to the authority of their parents. A man does not meet this qualification if in his home there is a child who is a professing believer in Christ but not under control or is an unbeliever who openly professes rejection of Christ and or is given to dissipation or rebellion. What about when children are outside the home? We discussed that as well. Adult children, no longer in the home. A man meets this qualification, we believe, if the children outside the home are believers in Christ, if they are unbelievers, yet do not bring reproach upon the man. So we are interpreting it here as faithful children, not believing children. A man does not meet this qualification if there is a child, even outside of his home, an adult child, who is given to dissipation or rebellion, a sort of dissolute lifestyle known for debauchery and all kind of loose living, brings reproach upon the man, and in that case, he does not meet this qualification. But it's important, when, even when you think of this, that it has to be reviewed in the context of the total life and character of the man. So those are the capacities this man must have. He must be capable of teaching, and he must be capable of leading and managing. One of those shown in how he handles the Word of God, the other one shown in how he handles his children. There's one final test, and that's confirmation. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. Now this is in the section on deacons, but notice what it says. 1 Timothy 3:10. These men, that is the deacons, must also, there's your key word, must also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. The point here is, Paul is going back to the elders and saying, elders too must be first tested. And then, if they're found to be beyond reproach, then they can serve as elders. Essentially, this confirmation by the church happens in several ways. First of all, the elders select. Once the, by selection, I don't mean they go to a man. I mean once a man demonstrates a desire and comes to the elders and says, I really want to pursue becoming an elder. Remember, it starts with desire then the elders, out of those who say they want to pursue that, select those whom they believe meet these objective standards, who have the character, who have the capacity. Then there is an evaluation by the church and the elders. Notice here in 1 Timothy 3.10, by the way, this passage occurs in instructions in a, a section beginning in chapter 2, verse 1, running through chapter the end, the end of chapter 3, 
which are instructions to the whole church, not just to the elders or to Timothy. And so the whole church is to test or to evaluate whether or not this man who wants to pursue this office meets these tests. The elders are too as well, because in 1 Timothy 5, verse 22, Paul tells Timothy that he's not to lay hands upon anyone too hastily. In other words, evaluate them, test them, make sure. So both the elders and the congregation are to evaluate whether or not this man who wants to serve as an elder or a pastor meets these tests. And then finally, there is recognition, public recognition by the elders with the laying on of hands. You see this in 1 Timothy 4 and in 1 Timothy 5 as well. There is the public recognition that this man, by the laying on of hands, the elders are saying, this man has passed these tests. We confirm him, the congregation has confirmed him to meet these qualifications. So how do you know if you've been called to be a pastor? How do you know if you should pursue being an elder? Four tests. Do you have the desire? Is there within your heart a craving to do the work of ministry? Is that desire matched by the, meeting the character qualifications that are laid out in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1? Is there the capacity to teach? Have you demonstrated that? Are you teaching and are people responding to your teaching? Have you shown in your home the capacity to lead and to manage by how your home runs, how your children respond? And fourthly, have the elders and the congregation confirmed that you meet these other tests? If all four of those things are true, then you have been called to be an elder. If any one of them is not, then you have not. What about the rest of you who have no aspirations of being elders? You perhaps, uh, you know, you're a, a woman and you know you can't serve in that role. Or perhaps you're a man and you simply want to serve in the church. What do you do with all this? Well, first of all, understand that you have a significant responsibility. It's your job every time the elders come to you and say, here's a man who we believe may be called to ministry, you were to involve yourself in that process. You're to take that seriously. And if you believe that person for whatever reason doesn't meet that, meet the qualifications laid out here in 1 Timothy 3, you're to let the elders know. You're to let that person know. Also, when you look at the character laid out here, this isn't merely for the elders. This is a target for everyone here. Those qualifications that are laid out for an elder, apart from the capacity of able to teach and able to manage, the rest of those character qualifications should be what every one of us strive to be. They're a target for us all. It's amazing, isn't it, to see the wisdom of God in how He has established His church. It's my prayer that God would continue to help us to be biblical in our approach to leadership in our approach to how the church functions. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part six of a series titled Church Government, Monarchy, Anarchy, or Democracy? Join us again next time for part seven. Well, Tom, those who feel called to the ministry should indeed take that call seriously, shouldn't they? You know, Bill, when you understand what constitutes a call to ministry, 
that the Lord himself has gifted you and is appointing you through the elders of the church to serve in leadership, that comes with a heavy sense of responsibility. There's a great weight of saying, the Lord Jesus himself has has assigned me this role. I am an under-shepherd, and I have a responsibility to follow his lead, to let him be the head of this church. And so, of course, that starts by being driven with what the scriptures teach and then seeking in wisdom to apply that to the circumstances of the church. It is truly a heavy weight. There are those who misuse that authority and position, but instead it should come with a sense of grave and heavy responsibility that we are under shepherds, under the chief shepherd, shepherding his flock. Thanks, Tom. And friend, to serve as an elder in a local church is a noble ambition, but it comes with a sobering responsibility. The existing church leadership must actively be seeking to identify, equip, and appoint elders to continue the work of ministry. Invite your pastor and other church leaders to join Tom Pennington February 18th in South Lake, Texas, as he is a featured speaker at this year's XL Ministries training conference, Becoming Biblical Elders. Visit thewordunleashed.org for more information and registration links to the conference. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.